Welcome to The Bomar Show. We are your hosts, Josh and Sarah Bomar. We hope this podcast will motivate, educate, and entertain you. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to The Bomar Show. And on this episode, episode eight, this is actually going to be a solo podcast. So you will only be hearing my voice because this is a topic that a lot of women have requested that I cover because of how open I have been about the cosmetic procedures that I have had done over the last, I think, 11 years, if my math's correct. So this is just going to be, like I said, me talking to you guys, going over what procedures I've had done, the cost, the downtime, the maintenance, why I decided to get some things done, if I regretted it, what would I have done differently, yada, yada, yada. So I actually put up, as usual, a Q&A on Instagram just to make sure that I was covering all of the topics that you guys wanted me to regarding this broad topic of cosmetic procedures. So I went through all of them over the last few hours and I jotted down every note and every question that I was seeing come up frequently. And I've got all of those topics answered in the show notes below. And this is what we are going to be talking about today. So before I go into it, before I start talking about what I've had done, I just want to let everyone listening out there know that just because I've had something done or someone else has had something done that you look up to does not mean you need to get that done at all. These procedures are life-changing and they should be because you want to do them and not because someone you might look up to has had them done. Now, if you want to get something done beforehand and then you see, oh, well, Sarah's had it done and, and it looks great or it looks normal, and then it kind of sets it at ease for you that someone else has walked that path. Absolutely different story, but don't make don't make it seem like this podcast is me telling you that you have to get something done in order to feel better about yourself because ultimately that's the reason that anyone gets anything done cosmetically is because they want to enhance what is there and enhance their beauty and just ultimately feel better about themselves. So that being said, I am going to go through the list of things that I have had done and then go more into depth into each one of them based on the questions and topics that you guys were asking me. So the most obvious is I've had a breast augmentation and I've actually had two, which I'll go into. I've had laser hair removal on my underarms. I had lip fillers once in 2015 and obviously those are all gone. Um, I've had my eyebrows microbladed twice. I have permanent eyeliner. I get regular facial treatments such as microneedling. I've had the halo treatment done and I've also had PRP done. And then last but not least, I do get Botox. So let's dive into each of these and just kind of go through everything that you guys were wanting to know. So the breast augmentation experience is obviously going to be the longest one that I talk about because it is the most invasive and serious surgery that I've had. So in 2008, I had my first breast augmentation done when I was a sophomore in college. I was 19 years old and ultimately I had it done because I just didn't feel confident in myself. I was an extremely small person. I was about 90 pounds soaking wet and I was at maybe a a 32A, maybe even a 32AA. And I was just extremely small chested and I was very self-conscious about it. And 
I did a ton of research the summer before I got it done. And I was at Ball State at the time in Muncie, Indiana. And there was a female doctor by the name of Dr. Short at the Jillian Institute near Indianapolis. And I just felt such comfort and relief knowing that obviously she is a woman. And I just felt much more comfortable with her. Not that there's anything wrong with going to a male surgeon, but for my first one and based on my age and just the feelings that I was having, I absolutely loved that it that she was a female surgeon that was going to be performing this surgery. So why I chose her, that, that was a question that came up a lot. Why I chose this surgeon and all surgeons kind of in the, in the future is, was based on reviews. And when I looked at her offerings online, I, I saw that she offered a kind of like a, like a seminar on breast augmentation. So you would go and it wouldn't just be you and her in an office. It was, it was her giving like a seminar or a lecture almost to multiple people. So you scheduled a time, you scheduled a date and you went and you had this like group consultation in a sense in which she went over the cost, the recovery, the different types, the different placements of surgery you know, all the things, the downtime, basically every question that everyone has regarding this, she just did it in a group setting. And what, that was super helpful because other people were asking questions that I would not have thought to ask. So if that is offered somewhere from a surgeon in your area, or even if you go see her, if you're in Indiana, I highly recommend that. Not every surgeon I know offers that, but it doesn't hurt to ask if the surgeon you're interested in does. So I went and I had some saline implants put in. I had 300 cc's on my right side and 350 cc's on my left side because no two boobs are the same size. So in order to quote unquote, even them out, make them perfect, whatever you want to say, the same size, sometimes the implants are different. And that surgery, I went under the muscle and I had to get saline because I was only 19 at the time and you can't get silicone until you are 22. So I had to get saline and after about 10 years, saline does usually need to be replaced. So I went into the surgery knowing that ultimately in about a decade, I would need to get them redone if I wanted to keep them looking the way that they were. So like I said, 2008, 11 years ago, which is crazy. I was 19 and the cost was just under 5,000 based on the type, the placement of the implants, which was under the muscle. And you know, that covered all of your anesthesia, your medicine afterwards, all that. So I had the surgery before school started that year. And for like four days after, I was really down for the count in terms of getting up out of bed by myself, any sort of pressure really hurt the implant. I mean, you don't realize how much you use your chest muscles until there's a huge implant sitting underneath of them pulling and it, it just felt super, super tight. I don't really know how to explain it other than it just was really tight. And then every time I even like went to get out of bed, it just hurt so bad when that implant was being essentially pulled because your pec will move when you use your chest muscles. So my implant was also moving. So the, the downtime for that was about six weeks. I went back for my checkup at week one and then week two and then four weeks and then 
six weeks and then six months and then a year. So it was a lot of checkups. So that's why I really wanted a surgeon that was close to school because I knew that I would have frequent checkups and I didn't want to keep having to go home to Toledo, Ohio to get checkups done. So that's also how I found my surgeon was just geographically. So I was cleared to do light cardio at week six after my first breast augmentation. And at the time, I really wasn't super active. I was doing a little bit of cardio, but no weightlifting of any kind. So I really didn't miss the weight training because I wasn't doing any. So I didn't really feel the need to like get back in the gym really fast, or I didn't feel like I was missing out on much because all I was missing out on was really cardio. And I could still walk around in a little bit, but as far as actually like doing the elliptical or running of any kind, basically like a faster cardio, I wasn't able to do that until week six. Also with my first surgery, my surgeon recommended that I stop lifting chest and I stop doing exercises and really just listen to my body in which my chest felt like it was being utilized and my implants felt like they were having pressure put on them. So things like push-ups, even pull-ups when your chest is activated, and then any sort of chest exercise such as incline, bench, anything like that. Now, every surgery is different. And I know some women experience a very bad post-op because their surgeon doesn't recommend that they don't lift chest. So I, if you're listening to this and you've had a BA and you're like, well, my surgeon didn't tell me that, then your surgeon may have felt like, Maybe you had more mass to start with, or the type of implant maybe won't move when if your chest muscles moved. I, I don't know. Every surgery is different. So if that is a concern of yours, I would recommend asking your surgeon. And don't take my word as, as gospel. I'm just telling you my experience and what was instructed of me. So after, around, I would say about two months, I felt completely normal. There was no more pulling, no more tightness, no more issues with anything post-op after that first breast augmentation. So fast forward to, so that was 2008. Fast forward to 2014. I meet Josh in the beginning of the year. We get engaged in September of 2014 and our wedding was in January of 2015. So in between 2008 and 2014, I went from about 90 pounds to about 130 pounds. So I added about 40 pounds, give or take, of size. Not all of that was muscle, I wish, but majority of it was. So my physique completely changed in those six years. And based on that, my implants, I just didn't feel like they looked right anymore because they were based on my 90 pound body and my 90 pound frame. And I just, I knew I was going to have to get them redone by 2018 anyways. And I didn't want to look back on our wedding photos or our honeymoon photos and think, wow, I wish I had had my boobs redone before that because they look funny or they just, they don't look right. And I don't love the photos and I don't love those memories as much because I felt self-conscious. So in December of 2014, I again, found a surgeon, this time a male surgeon in Columbus, Ohio, and amazing surgeon. I highly recommend both of the surgeons that I went to, like I said, Dr. Short in Indianapolis. And then in Columbus, his name is Dr. Donaldson and he's in Dublin, Ohio. So I, he's 
it was extremely highly recommended on every plastic surgeon forum that I was looking at and a lot of amazing customer reviews, testimonials online, photos, befores and afters. And I just felt super comfortable with him and his office staff when I went in for a consultation. I really feel like when you go in and you have that connection with people, like you just know, like these people are going to take absolute care of me. So again, same thing under the muscle, but this time I was getting silicone implants. So I went from 30350 to 50 cc. Um, I went from saline and then I went to silicone. So when I had my silicone implants put in, they actually put them in folded up and uninflated and they fill them up once you have them in your body. So the incision is super small and it was actually around my nipple. And the, the incision is only a few inches wide. And that was a concern long. And that was a concern of mine when I had my implants redone because I didn't want to have two scars on each breast. So what they did is they actually were able to extract my saline implant out of the same incision and then put in my silicone implant in the same incision by using like a tube or a funnel. And they basically like lubed it up like a water slide and slid the silicone implant through the same incision incision. And that way I don't have two scars. It's the exact same incision point, the exact same scar. And they, they really did take amazing care of me. And obviously in between 08 and 2014, I started lifting a lot and I really feel like my weightlifting really attributed to how quickly I recovered after that surgery. And because I had my saline implants taken out and my silicone implants put in, that surgery was about $7,500 because a lot of people were asking about cost. So again, checkups at week one, week two, week four, week six, week eight, six months, one year. And then every, you know, year after that, if you feel like you want to go in and just make sure everything is fine. So all of those appointments are covered in your cost as well as your medicine, your anesthesia, the surgery, the implants, all that. So recovery after my second augmentation was night and day different compared to my surgery in 2008 when I wasn't weight training, when I wasn't supplementing, when I wasn't really dieting, when I wasn't really taking care of my body. So I obviously listened to the doctor and he actually cleared me to lift legs while listening to my body at week one based on how quickly I was recovering. And even so then I would, you know, I went to the gym the day after and I was doing leg extensions and even just like gripping the handles on the machine was a little painful in my chest. So I just kept it very light and very simple. I stuck to a lot of the machines during that time until I was cleared to lift upper body and arms again while listening to my body because some things Even if you're cleared to lift, sometimes you just have to say, okay, that doesn't feel right yet. So I'm going to take a day or two off of this and let my body heal and recover because breast augmentations are major surgeries. And I think a lot of people want to to have one, but they're so worried about the recovery and they're so worried about how they're going to lose their gains. You're not going to lose your gains. I can promise you that. The most important thing when it comes to recovery after any major, major surgery is to focus on the recovery. Because if you try to do too much too soon, you will set yourself back way more than a than if you had just waited until your doctor had cleared you or until you were actually ready to get back into the gym. So listening to your body is huge. I'm going to say that a lot, but it is huge after a surgery 
like this because again, it is major surgery. You're under anesthesia for several hours. The recovery is, it can be up to two months in terms of like feeling some things don't still, still don't feel normal for me in terms of what I can do with my chest, such as push-ups. I have to modify pull-ups. I still don't lift chest because again, my surgeon recommended that I don't lift chest just to preserve where my implants were and to ensure that the muscle didn't separate too far as you guys all have seen. I'm sure the chest split. Well, that's when your pecs get further and further apart from one another. So if your implants are underneath your muscle, they'll go with your pec. So that's why a lot of surgeons recommend that you don't lift chest if you have implants. Again, if you're concerned, ask your doctor. I'm not your doctor. I'm just telling you what my surgeons told me based on my particular treatment. So I think that kind of covered everything in terms of breast augmentation. I know some people are concerned with breastfeeding. Um, you can still breastfeed if you have implants. There's no concern there as far as, you know, if I'll have to get them redone again, I don't plan on it if, and when I get pregnant and if they change too much, I might have to have some sort of, you know, lift or reconstruction or even, a totally new implants. I don't know that answer, but for me right now, the plan is to not ever have to get them redone again. So the ones I have right now are the ones that hopefully I'll have for the long haul. Okay. So I think that covered everything as far as my personal breast augmentation experience. So let's move on to laser hair removal. So this one is super fun for me because I actually got this as a Christmas present. And cause I, I always hated shaving my armpits and I was very vocal about it. So I started getting my laser hair removal done before I met Josh. So it was in 2013 and it took about 14 months because only, I don't quote me on this, but I think only about 10 to 15% of your hair actually shows at all times. So when you have laser hair removal, they're only removing the hair and the follicles of the hair that they can see, which is why some people need 14 to sometimes upwards of 20 appointments to get all of the hair follicles in that particular area completely taken care of. So as far as cost, again, it is going to depend on the area. The armpits are the smallest area, I guess, next to your upper lip. The cost on laser hair removal was for me around a thousand dollars, which I completely like I would have spent $10,000 to never have to shave my armpits again is phenomenal. So I went about every six weeks. And the most important thing to remember when you do get laser hair removal done is they can only do it on dark and like black and brown hair. It can't be done on hair like blonde, brunette, and red because the laser can't see the, the hair follicle when the hair is that color. So it's important that you don't tan or spray tan the area. I think they say two weeks before your appointment, just to ensure that the laser can get all the follicles that it can see. And it kind of feels like a small rubber band snapping against your skin. For me, I have a very high pain tolerance. It doesn't hurt or didn't hurt in the slightest. I, it, the entire appointment takes like two whole minutes. They do each underarm twice in the same appointment just to make sure they got everything. And then they put an ice pack on you for a second and then away you go. So it's, it's a really quick procedure. I don't even consider it a procedure, but it's a really quick appointment. And it's something that I highly recommend to everyone. The maintenance on it is super nice too, especially if you go to a, a very established 
company like like a chain. So I went to Ideal Image and the maintenance is only $50. Like you get like into, into a lifetime membership and the the upkeep is only a $50 um fee every time you go in for like a quote unquote maintenance appointment. And right now I go in literally once a year and they zap 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 and I walk out and I don't have to shave until I go back to the maintenance appointment the next year. So it's a it's incredibly time saving when you don't have to worry about shaving your armpits or seeing that black stubble no matter how close or how often you shave. It's phenomenal and I highly recommend it. It makes a great gift too if any guys are listening. Um it makes a great gift if your wife has ever complained about that. And if you don't know if your wife's ever complained about it, trust me, she complains about it. So, moving on to the face area. So a lot of people have asked if I've ever had fillers, which is hilarious to me because I think my lips are super small and it's something that people comment rudely all the time. Like, why don't you get lip fillers? Your lips are so small. Because <laughs> like, I just, one, it really hurts. So I did have lip filler put in in 2015. We were actually on our honeymoon and there was a esthetician on board the cruise ship. And I was like, sure, I'll get some lip filler. Oh my gosh, it hurts so bad. I have a super high pain tolerance. And oh my gosh, did that hurt so bad? It's such a sensitive area. And I didn't really feel like it made that much of a difference for me to justify that pain. Like I'm starting to sweat just thinking about the pain of lip fillers because it just hurts so, so bad. So if you've had a good experience, I know they have like non-filler, non-surgical filler things out there now. So maybe, maybe if anyone comes to the table with something totally different, I might consider it again. But like I said, I didn't really see a big enough difference to justify the actual pain and all of that when it comes to lip fillers. So just looking at my list here. So the next thing that I've had done as many of you know, because it was recent, um, I've had microblading done on my eyebrows. I've had it done twice, once when I initially got it, and then once for a maintenance checkup, just kind of to refresh the eyebrows and make them look more beautiful and add some color back to them and then add a little more shape to them. So when it comes to microblading, the cost is obviously going to vary per person based on the area that you're in. But the microblading that I had done was 600 and then the quote unquote maintenance is also the same price just because it's essentially the same, the same thing. You're just, you know, you're, you're still going, you're still getting your, your eyebrows numbed and you're still getting all the color and they're still drying the shape and there's, and all the, all the same things are still happening. So the maintenance is just the same price as the actual the actual microblading. So when you get microblading, your esthetician, this is something too that you should look for when it comes to anything on your face. You should always go to someone who is a medical esthetician. I know there are Groupon coupons out there and I know that some of you have seen the microblading people in the mall, but this is on your face and it is permanent to semi-permanent. And you should really consider that when you are picking who you are going to be tattooing your face with something as important as eyebrows. So when they do your microblading, your eyebrows aren't numbed beforehand, which is super nice. Again, I have a high pain tolerance. I personally cannot feel when they are doing the microblading. I know some people say it 
if you've had tattoos, it's not as painful. I would agree to that a thousand percent. I have a tattoo on the top of my foot. That was true pain. Microblading, I almost fell asleep when they were doing it. So the super nice thing about microblading is that you never have to do anything to your eyebrows ever again if you really don't want to. So you don't have to fill them in. You don't have to add color. You don't have to add shape. You don't have to line them. Now, if you want to do those things, you can. But for me, I have my eyebrows microbladed, I have eyeliner, and then I also have eyelash extensions because for me, for me, that is a huge time saver. I am not a makeup artist. I could never get my eyebrows to match. And honestly, those things to me are just time savers and they make me feel more confident. And that's honestly why I've gotten them done just because I know that now I can just wake up and if I don't want to throw foundation on, I really don't have to. And I still look somewhat put together, which is super nice. So again, back to the microblading, they numb your face and then your medical esthetician should draw your eyebrows on to make sure that the shape is what you want. I always bring inspiration and show them exactly the shape and the size and everything that I want. So there is a difference too between microblading and permanent makeup. So microblading actually, it looks like hair follicles instead of just one line of an eyebrow. So it's a little more natural looking and it looks like, like I said, your natural shape and your natural eyebrow. So they'll draw it on, they'll match your color. So if you have dark hair, obviously you, they'll match it to your dark hair, you know, whatever hair color you have. I'm not sure how they really handle blondes or redheads. That's something that you'll have to talk to your esthetician about. But for me, they mix the color based on my dark hair and then you numb for about half an hour and then they'll start going to work with the tattooing. And it's a, it's about 35 minutes to an hour after, you know, the numbing and after they start and then included in your price should be your one to two week checkup. And the most important thing to remember with microblading is to always listen to the aftercare. So I know that they say to not sweat for 10 days and that is 100% true. You don't want that color to pull. Now you can still work out. I personally just don't do cardio for 10 days after I've had any microblading done, but you can still lift. I doubt many of you are like sweating from your eyebrows when you're just lifting. So just make sure if you are going to lift that you take extra care to not overdo it. That way you're not sweating. And then as always, you do want to avoid sun, especially in those 10 days afterwards. That way your color doesn't pull. And then you do not want to pick at it when it starts to scab. And you really want to make sure that you keep the area very moistened and very soft. That way it doesn't scab or peel or anything like that. Because if it does peel, then that color can come out if it hasn't had enough time to set because it doesn't go as deep as a normal tattoo, which is why you do have to get it done every, every 12 to 18 months because it doesn't go as deep into your skin. So it can fade much quicker than a regular tattoo. So I've also had permanent eyeliner done on my top lid and my bottom lid. And this is something that I absolutely love. I don't regret anything that I've ever done. I do want to make that clear. I don't regret anything that I've had done to my face or my body at all. If anything, it's like, I, I am an over planner. And when I think I'm, uh, when I think about doing something, I really over plan it. And I look at reviews online and things that people are saying, and if they regret it and any tips and blogs and all these Pinterest articles and YouTube videos and everything like that. So when I get something done, it's because I've done my research on it and I know the questions to ask going in 
And when it comes to eyeliner, that was one thing because I always wear eyeliner. I really feel like it makes my eyes pop. I just love the way that it looks. So I actually had permanent eyeliner done in late 2014 and it's now late 2019 and I haven't had it touched up since. And I know when I tell a lot of people that they're actually very shocked, but because it it is supposed to fade, not as quickly as microblading, but it is supposed to fade. And it's faded a little bit, but not to the point where I need to get it redone, which is super nice. So I think this really just comes from me staying out of the sun. And when I am in the sun, I always have a hat and I always have sunglasses on. So that really does help protect the color of the eyeliner. So obviously when it comes to permanent eyeliner, you cannot have your eyes (laughs) numbed like you can your eyebrows. So the eyeliner didn't necessarily hurt, but it didn't really feel good to see a needle coming towards you and tattooing an eye, you know, a line on your eyelid. So again, it's not as deep as a regular tattoo, so it's not as painful, but it is just, it's, it's an uncomfortable feeling because your eye, it's not open, but it's also not closed, especially when they're doing the bottom the bottom lid. If you're getting your top and your bottom, you don't have to get the top and the bottom. You could only get the top or you could only get the bottom. For me, it just made sense if I was going to do it, I was going to do it really quick. And about the same um, recovery as the microblading, just don't pick the scab, stay out of the sun, no sweating, yada, yada, yada. And the cost on the eyeliner was about 600 as well. I think it was 300 per eye. And that includes the touch up and that included the top lid and the bottom lid. Again, I went to a medical esthetician for that and she drew it on beforehand. And the thing with the eyeliner, they can't go all the way to your tear duct just for safety reasons. But, you know, that's something that you and your medical esthetician have to talk about. Okay, now on to facial treatments. So I am a huge proponent of keeping your skin as healthy as possible. As we all know, your skin is your largest organ and you should be taking care of it from the inside out in terms of drinking collagen, uh, semi-plug bone nutrition, your greens, getting all the micronutrients in that you can throughout the entire day, a high quality multivitamin and making sure you're drinking a lot of water. If you do have skin problems, yes, some of that is hormonal, but a lot of it is environmental. So you're either not taking care of your skin from the inside out or you're not using the proper products on your skin for your nighttime and your morning routine. So, and that's something that I'm actually going to be working on is a nighttime and a daytime skin routine for Instagram if you guys want to catch up on that. I'm always changing products, so I'm not really gonna talk about them on here, but I will post about them and link them on my story. Okay, so that being said, when it comes to facial treatments, your skin is very, very important, especially the skin on your face. So the things that I have done for my face in terms of facials, I've gotten facials before, but I really don't see the benefit of like a traditional facial where they just sit there and rub stuff in your face. I don't know. I always like break out afterwards and I just personally have never seen great results from it. I see way better results from daily, you know, daily skincare that I do and then the masks that I do at home. I've also had microneedling, I've also had a halo treatment, and then I've also had PRP done. So what is microneedling? Microneedling is basically creating a fake injury in your skin, and the idea is that red blood cells and collagen will rush to that area to fix it, and you'll have a glowy, dewy look after the redness wears off. 
I've had microneedling done twice and I really enjoy it. I haven't like, I don't go like every six weeks. Obviously I've only ha- ever done it twice in my whole life. I did see some good results from it. Um, and I'm sure that I would continue to see great results if I kept up on it. The only downfall obviously is you look very red for two to three days afterwards. You can't sweat for two to three days afterwards. You really have to make sure that you're staying out of the sun because of how sensitive your skin is. So the, not the negatives, but just the recovery of it. Like I couldn't find every six or eight weeks where I could take two to three days off from filming and having meetings because of how red my face was, if that makes sense. So in terms of the halo treatment, almost essentially the same thing, just a little more expensive than the microneedling. Again, it just helps with that collagen production and an overall youthful look. The halo, you do need to go to a plastic surgeon that actually has the machine. Uh, microneedling is usually done at like a spa or any you know any sort of basically spa or salon that has an esthetician on staff. And then PRP is the same as microneedling except when they put product in your face after microneedling. With PRP, they're actually extracting, it's called a vampire facial. They're actually extracting your blood and then taking your plasma out of it and then putting that back into your face. So again, with all of these facial treatments, the idea is collagen production and just getting rid of dead skin cells and all the stuff off of your face. Again, I personally just see better results from doing my daily stuff with high quality skincare and taking care of my skin from the inside out than I've really seen from doing a quote unquote expensive facial treatment like microneedling, halo PRP, that kind of stuff. So the last thing that I wanted to talk about very quickly is Botox. And I know some people have kind of a negative stigma when it comes to Botox and it's kind of quote unquote taboo. And I'm here to tell you that a lot of people get Botox, whether they're telling you that they're doing it or not. And I am not an esthetician. I am not. I don't work at a plastic surgeon's office. I know there are a ton of benefits when it comes to Botox outside of skin, I personally don't know any of those. So if you do think that you have, you know, a concern that Botox can help with, I'm sure there's a YouTube video or a blog out there or even a podcast that can help much more than I can. I personally get Botox to prevent wrinkles in the future. So the esthetician that I go to now, since we have moved, I I always ask questions when I go in there and I'm always asking her different things. And the last time that I was in there, I asked her, you know, when someone asks me, when should they start Botox? And she, she said, if you are asking when to start Botox, you probably should, because the worst thing you can do is wait until you see a wrinkle. So when you, when you burrow your, furrow your brow and that line stays there, that's almost always going to be permanent. So you usually want to start before you start seeing that line. So for me, I started Botox a few years ago. I had it first done. Um, I think, in 2017. And I only had it done once that year. And last year, I think I had it done two or three times. And then this year, I've only had it done twice. I will have it done one more time before the end of the year and before show seasons start, trade show, trade, the trade, trade show season starts. And cost is going to vary when it comes to Botox, based on how many units you need, obviously, if your face is bigger, you're going to need more units. So the price will go up. 
every doctor's office is always running specials on Botox. If you get so many, you get some free or a different, you know, unit rate. So if you are interested in Botox, I highly recommend just booking a consultation and asking the medical esthetician or the nurse practitioner there what they think, the cost, how many units they think you need. If you're getting started too soon, everyone is super individualized when it comes to Botox. For me, so if I, I know I started in 2017, so I started when I was 28. And I feel like that's a perfect age to start to age gracefully. And that's the most important thing when it comes to Botox. I don't get a ton of units. I think I get like 16 to 20 units every time I go, which is a really small amount if you've ever had Botox or if you know anything about it. It's a very, very, very conservative amount. And the idea isn't to make my face frozen or to freeze all emotion. If you guys know me at all, you know I don't have a poker face. I wear my emotions on my face and I, I'm always filming and I'm always talking and my face is far from frozen. I've never left you know, you don't see immediate results with Botox, but I've never looked in the mirror and said, oh, my face is not moving and I'm expressionless. I've never said that. Like I said, I get a very conservative amount because I do want to age gracefully. And I don't want to say when I turn 40, like, ooh, I wish I'd started Botox when I was 30, but I was so nervous about what all my friends and family are saying. Well, your friends and family honestly don't have to look at you in the mirror and feel what you're feeling every single day. So if you want to get Botox or if you want to get any of these procedures done, do it for you. And yes, people will always have an opinion, but guess what? Who cares? When you die, you're the only one in your grave. And if getting breast augmentation makes you feel better for the, you know, 70 years after you get it done that you have on this earth, then do it. And it makes you feel good. Do it. That's all that I honestly, like a lot of people, um, when it comes to, you know, procedures and things like that, like they're so nervous about what other people are going to think. And like I said, you might have some people in your life that do have a negative opinion about it, but who cares? I'm sure you have negative opinions about things that they do or things that you might not understand. Again, who cares? Are you going to lose sleep over it? No, probably not. Rock your big old new boobs in their face and have a, have a good time. So another thing that I did want to mention too, not that I really consider it cosmetic, but I do get lash extensions every three weeks. And then I also have hand-tied NBR extensions as well. Back to that whole laziness thing. I love the fact that my hair always looks great thanks to my extensions and that I never have to wear mascara again. So it's super awesome. And as far as um, procedures, cosmetic procedures in the fitness industry, you know, you guys... You guys know I'm a very, what's the word, brass person. When it comes to procedures in the in this industry, who cares if people get them done? Who cares? Not everyone is going to be open and honest about them. The only stigma I have and the only thing that I have to complain about when it comes to procedures in the fitness industry is when someone, let's just say, gets a Brazilian butt lift and then all of a sudden they're, they're selling glute programs. Your body is not all a result then of hard work. You don't see me selling chest programs saying, hey, buy, buy my chest program and you'll have a chest like me because that's completely unrealistic because I've had two breast augmentations. So if you see someone who might look 
like they're not real. Maybe they're not. And maybe they are. Maybe they're very genetically blessed and maybe they've worked their whole life to have the body that they have. But chances are Kim Kardashian is not selling a glute program because Kim Kardashian has pig fat in her butt. So just always take things with a grain of salt when it comes to the fitness industry and what people are selling based on their own bodies. Okay. I think I literally covered everything. Again, thank you guys so much for listening. I know this podcast was a little different than the business and the fitness topics that we have been doing lately, but when I always, when I make posts about what podcast you guys want to hear about, cosmetic procedures is up there in the top five things that people are often asking about. So I really hope you guys enjoyed this podcast and I will see you guys over in episode nine.